Thanks, worship team. It's always good to begin the evening giving praise and glory to our, our Lord in heaven. <clears throat> what well, moments this week is, has, it not, has it not been? Lots going on, right? Out in the world wide, and I'm sure each in your, for each of you in your own personal lives, a lot has happened as well. I feel fortunate to be able to stand in front of you tonight, not because, excuse me, I feel fortunate to stand before you tonight because I feel like I barely made it, right? Um, a lot of different things went on this week, uh, a lot of busyness at work, kind of at the point where on Monday I wasn't sure how I was going to get through the week. And I just had absolutely no clue how I was going to be able to get through all the things I needed to do for work, accomplish all the things I needed to do, be able to take care of things at home, um, and so forth. And I, God has been good. You know, and I say that genuinely. He was able, every day, just kind of, I felt like just something happened, like, you know, a meeting was canceled, or uh, some issue at work was resolved, or something happened at home, where it just kind of cleared the path. And every day was just kind of a little bit more of a walk towards like, oh, there's a clearing, I can go that way. And then, oh, today, there's another clearing, I can go that way. I felt like God was just kind of clearing my way through the week, and uh, praise God for that. Um, I apologize if I have a little bit of a scratchy throat. Uh, Many years ago, I um, took an Advil at work, and um, my face got all itchy. Like, I started puffing up, and I was tearing for a few hours. I'm like, good Lord, what's what's going on? And, you know, my younger days, I didn't realize, oh, it's an allergic reaction. So, knowing that, I realized, okay, stay away from Advil. Then Tuesday night, I'm like, you know what? Let's tempt fate. Let's have another Advil. Probably the first time since then. And yes, you might expect I'm still allergic to Advil. Uh, Praise God. It wasn't like a severe reaction. Otherwise, you know, I might not be here. Uh, It was just, you know, just kind of an itchy, itchy face, watering eyes, and kind of a scratchy throat. And whoo, I'm like, through the night, I'm like, honey, um, tell them Steph. Hey, uh, I think I'm having an allergic reaction. So if you don't hear from me in a few, you know, in, for a couple hours, come check on me. <laughs> Make sure I'm still breathing. Uh, yeah, it was kind of a weird thing. So again, I stand before you, fortunate to feel like I can stand. So praise God. All right, with that, why don't we go ahead and actually launch into a real introduction for tonight? You know, I'm a comic book guy, and I love I love comic books. I love going home and being able to just kind of kick back a little bit once in a while and, and read comic books, just because they're kind of mindless, brainless things to, to, to read, all right? Now, if you're familiar with com- comic books, you're familiar with the tropes or ideas that come out of this particular genre, right? You know that heroes have to wear spandex and capes. We know that heroes have to be anonymous, and that's why they wear masks, and they have secret identities, and they're all fabulously wealthy, right? We also know they have entirely unrealistic body proportions, both the men and the women. We also know the women have to absolutely wear no protection whatsoever, and you're like, how does that work? What's happening there? We also know that they never really stay dead, right? You just know comic book hero dies, going to get retconned someday. We also know that there are some important things in comic books, right? The whole idea, like as a comic book guy, you collect comic books, you look for the first appearance, right? You look for that first appearance in a comic of a particular hero or bad guy or a, a sidekick, and that's like the real valuable key issue. 
Another key issue would be like the origin story for a hero, right? An origin story. And it's in this origin story that you find out where the characters first introduced. You find that uh, what motivates them, what drives them, how they came into being, how they get their superpowers. Now, this can get a little bit out of hand because, for example, there's one character who happens to be a clone of Wolverine, right? Remember Wolverine, Claws? skeleton that was indestructible, huge healing factor. And this clone, her name, uh, well, the clone was, um, her name is X-23, right? That's the code name. Um, also, Laura is also her name. Sorry, I'm going into, I'm geeking out here. Uh, but there is an issue out there where in one of the panels, the first appearance of X-23 might be considered the test tube where her genetic that Wolverine's genetic material was there. And it's actually kind of a thing. It's a little odd, right? However, origin stories are more important in understanding, again, where a character comes from, more than just like, oh, this is, this is where they were born, but also how did they grow up, how they came to be. This telling of a character's journey is a crucial part of building that literary connection between the reader, right, and the character, that they can kind of understand the mind of what's going on there, the reasons why the character does what he does. These origin stories explain to us, for example, that Peter Parker was bitten by a radioactive spider and he gains great powers, which he uses for his own personal benefit. But because he disregarded honor, because he denied his responsibilities, because he didn't desire to step out of himself and to be selfless, it ended up in the resulting in the death of his Uncle Ben. And he is throughout the stories, all, this is kind of common to all the Spider-Man stories, all the different retellings, that he feels responsible for that. There's a weight of that responsibility for what he caused that weighs on him, that drives him towards doing what he does, to give of himself to almost to the point where it, it, it seems like it's like, why are you doing this? Why are you continuing to put yourself under uh, this terrible su personal suffering? Because he understands and he's taken to heart what great power comes what? great responsibility, right? And that all came because of like what happened to in his history. So that's in his origin story. Likewise for us, our own origin stories motivate us, tell us how we drive ourselves in life, what causes us to do what we do. As believers, our own origin story center around how we came to believe in Jesus and how our lives proceeded from there. We will see tonight in Romans and is a description, an outline, a synopsis, if you will, of our own faith origin stories, at least from how it applies to all. What we see in Romans 10, verses 14 through 21, is a description of how the gospel came to the Jews and is an outline for us how the gospel comes to us and a synopsis of God's work in this world in regards to having drawn you and I to our Lord and Father. So with that, let's turn to Romans chapter 10, verses 14 through 21, and let's read God's word there. Paul writes, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? 
Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and the words, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Let's open this time in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this evening. We thank you for your holy word. We thank you for the words of the apostle that speaks to us of our salvation and speaks to us of our origin stories. We ask, Father, that your spirit would be moving in us. Inform us of what your word might be able to say. Allow us in our small groups to be able to speak to one another. And I would just pray, Father, that you would be speaking to each one of us at this moment. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So in this passage of Romans, to set the context a little bit, Paul writes extensively about his concern for the Jewish people, and in specific, the salvation of the Jewish people, of which he counts himself one of. He notes that God's elect and chosen are the Jews. They have a zeal for God, chapter 10, verse 2, but tragically not according to knowledge. That is, they love God, but they, don't, are, they aren't doing it according to truth. They're not doing it according to what is, can be known. And that they are ignorant of righteousness of God. Verse 3. Instead, these Jews, the Jew, Jewish people, have established their own standard of righteousness. And Paul did not write these things out out of a sense of superiority or desire to condemn or to point fingers or to establish his own standard of righteousness but he did it out of compassion and love for his own people. Paul writes in chapter 10, verse 1, it is my heart's desire and prayer to God for them that is that they may be saved. That's his heart. That's his origin story. So leading up to our passage tonight, Paul's grappling with the question of how the Jewish people might be saved. The Jewish people come to depend on salvation by works something that they would have been practicing for many generations, for hundreds if not thousands of years. It's a situation Paul writes about in verse 5. The person who does the commandments shall live by them, right? That if you want to live, you obey the commandments. That is the Jewish position. But this is not the means to obtain salvation. The real means to finding God is found in what Paul calls true righteousness. And he says this in verse 9 of chapter 10. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So Paul's laying out salvation. Very simply right there. Confess with your mouth, believe, you will be saved. Not a new concept for any of us, right? And although it shocked the Jewish people at the time, for in the Old Testament, God is not pleased by the shedding. It's not a new idea, right? Because in the Old Testament, God himself even says, it is by faith that righteousness was reckoned, right? To the forefathers, to Abraham, to Jacob. Faith it has been and is the prime directive of God from the very beginning. Paul is essentially just simply here, trying to drive home all that can be saved, not just Jewish people, all can be saved. Everyone, says Paul in verse 11, who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there's no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call him. And this is where we pick up our passage tonight. Paul is demonstrating, going to demonstrate tonight through the scriptures from the beginning, through prophecy that we will investigate tonight, that God's purposes has always been to save all people. Tonight, we will hear from Paul's message 
in Romans, the how and who of the gospel. The how and the who. How the gospel comes to people, who the gospel includes, and who will represent that to him. Of our three points tonight, we will see the origin of the good news, we'll see the destination of the good news, and we'll see the representation of the good news. The origin, the destination, and the representation. That is, we'll understand the source of the gospel, the audience of the gospel, and how the gospel is given to others. So on the origin of the good news, yes, Romans 4, 10, chapter 10, verses 14 through 21, can be considered in a way the origin story for all believers. For in this passage, Paul describes how the gospel comes to the Jews, and, in a, and, and by extension, we will discover how the chain of events leads to our own salvation. We have to go back to Romans chapter 10, 13 to understand the subject of verse 14 and beyond, right? Verse 13, we know Paul's subject are those who might be saved, right? Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, save people call on God. Calling on God is a, by, by a person, is done by a person who with their mouth confesses, with their mouth confesses, that's verse 10. It's very clear, salvation comes through confession. Though the profession of Christ is Lord and not by any other means. That's the only way you get saved, right? Not by works. Paul rejects that immediately, has, has rejected that. In tonight's passage, Paul goes into detail about how this comes about, right? He uses the device of some rhetorical questions, and it reminds us that salvation comes through a series of things, okay? And we see this in verses 14 through 15. Those who call upon the Lord have faith, but they cannot have faith without believing in the object of their faith. Those who call upon the Lord have faith, but cannot have faith without actually believing in an object of faith. He says, how will they call on him in whom they have not believed? They will not have faith unless they have an object, something to believe in. Now, belief can only happen if a person actually hears the gospel, right? Understanding that there's an object of faith can only come because you hear about it. Paul asks, how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard, right? Obviously, if you can hear, then someone must be speaking. Paul writes, how are they here? How are they here about the object of their faith unless someone is preaching? How are they to hear without someone preaching? Simple. If there is no message, if there is no preacher, right, there are no words. If there are no words, there's no understanding of the object of faith. If there's no understanding of the object of faith, there is no belief. It's really simple, right? You need somebody to speak the gospel in order for somebody ultimately, to, at the end of the day, to come to understand what the gospel is about. Now, there is a quote often attributed to St. Francis, although that is debated, which, paraphrased, says this, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. Well, the intent is laudable, right? It's asking Christians to live a life that is consistent with the gospel, that doesn't, where you don't have to explain yourself. The effect, though, is suspect in some applications. For if we actually fail to tell people about the gospel, then they may just simply say, think, that you are believing, you are acting in order to be saved. That you are this way because that's what the church tells you to. That you act consistently with the gospel, not because of any other thing, but simply because you want to go out with this one girl, right? They don't know. You have to tell them. You have to tell them. Without telling them, they may misinterpret your actions. They may misinterpret what God is doing in, life, in your life. Now, the last question Paul asks is this, and how are they to preach unless they are sent? How does anybody 
preach the gospel unless they are sent, right? And the origin is this, that the words to be understood, the message that is to be preached about the object of faith that people need to believe in is the beginning of, of, of the gospel. That really is where it starts. Somebody is sent. It's not that somebody believes. The gospel begins with somebody is sent. A sent person is sent by something or someone. And here in Romans, we understand that a preaching person is not sent by the Jerusalem church. They were not sent by the Antioch church. They were not sent even by the apostles, but they were sent by God. Today, the person who shares the gospel with you out there, perhaps, or you might have heard it, did not come because a ministry, because of a ministry or because of an evangelistic organization or because of a really good church or an NGO or the federal government. They came because a person was sent by God. This is the true origin of the gospel. Paul goes on to say that such a preacher of the gospel sent by God are to be welcomed. They are to be welcomed warmly and affectionately. A person who brings good news should be appreciated. Paul writes, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Now, Paul's not talking about people who have well-manicured toenails, right? Or there's not, their feet aren't too hairy or the bottom of their feet are nice and clean. He's not talking about any of that. He's simply saying that the feet that convey the message to you all that effort, all that energy, that journey, that is to be appreciated. That is to be valued. That is to be liked. Now imagine you're in the worst class of your life. Maybe it's physics or philosophy, comp, history, or maybe Charles, an upper division Charles Dickens class. More on that someday. But five minutes into a long lecture, you're not interested. You simply think, you know what? Oh man, I am bored. I want to get out of here. But then somebody walks into the class, the principal, a dean, and simply says, you know what, today, class is excused, you may go. Over the objections of the professor or the instructor, you can enjoy your weekend. Imagine how you feel. What about at work? You're in a long and boring meeting about process control, or it's quality escapes, or there's an HR training, or maybe that they're going through like what's happening in, in somebody's other project that you're just not interested in. Imagine when the network suddenly goes down and your Zoom meeting is shut off and nobody can meet and the rest of the day is yours. Isn't that good news? Wouldn't you be ecstatic? And this is kind of what Paul's talking about, right? You go and you're like, your life is just a drudgery, but someone brings to you a message that is awesome. Someone brings to you the gospel. Something, somebody brings to you something welcome. You should be ecstatic. The passage that Isaiah, that passage that Paul here refers to is from Isaiah. Verse 15 is a direct reference to Isaiah 52, 7. And it reads here, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who publishes salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. When you bring the gospel, when you tell of good news, and not simply just of peace and peace among men, but peace between men and God, and when you talk about salvation, that people can have access to truth and beauty and says that God reigns even though that there is difficulty in this world, that nothing is perfect, that someday it will be made perfect. When you bring that message to people, that should lighten their hearts. They should be ecstatic. They should feel like a load has been lifted off. And that is what the gospel brings. For those who share the gospel, another, uh, let's talk about application a little bit. For those who share the gospel, right? You who share, you are this preacher. 
And that by its extension, you are sent by God. You are the one with beautiful feet. You are the one that brings good news. You are that one that says, your God reigns. This is your origin story. You were saved so that you can be transformed and changed, that you might be able to taste the goodness of God and be able to tell that to others. That is your superpower. We want, we should want to boast and brag about it. But that's not our experience, is it? I admit it. We often forget we are God's messengers. We lack confidence in our message because we assume it's all up to us. We assume that our lives are really kind of boring. We assume that we, were really, we haven't changed that much. We make assumptions. How can I really talk, talk about God when I'm all messed up? I don't know what to say. I don't have the words. I'm not as eloquent as other people. And you're not alone. You're not alone. Moses felt this way when God sent him to save his people out of Egypt. Moses lacked confidence. And not just in himself, but in his God. Because that's essentially what we're saying. When we lack confidence in the gospel message, we say that we lack confidence in God. In Exodus 4, verses 1 through 9, Moses expresses doubt at God's call. And God responds by demonstrating to Moses through miracles. A staff in Moses' hand turns into a snake. Moses' hand turns leprous and then is restored. And lastly, God gives power to Moses to be able to turn water into blood to demonstrate his power, that Moses has authority to speak about, to, to his people about God. And yet Moses, through all of these signs and wonders, still is not ready to do God's work. And he says in verse 10 of chapter 4 of Exodus, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. He's always got more excuses, right? We all have excuses. God responds with a strong rebuke. And he says, Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf? or seeing, or blind. Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. Moses is God's messenger, and it's not Moses who accomplishes God's work. It is not Moses who who delivers the people from Israel. It is God. When we speak, when we preach, when, when we are sent, we are doing God's work. He is working through us. As imperfect as we are, that actually demonstrates how powerful God is. Because how can weak, frail, terrible, imperfect human beings be changed? It's not our own power. It's because something else, something more powerful and bigger than us is doing it. Now, I also want to point you to Paul. Paul himself also felt likewise. He talks about a thorn in his flesh, a weakness And yet he says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. My grace is, Jesus says to to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. It is not how strong we are that demonstrates God's power. It is how weak we are. So that's our origin story. Weak people, frail people, imperfect people, transformed by the power of God. And that is what should motivate us to tell others. Now, as we move on to our next point, we're going to talk about destination. 
right? We move to a section where Paul cites Old Testament scripture as he shows that God's intention from the very beginning has been to save all people, that the destination of the good news has never been just one group of people, but it's been always the entire world. In three scriptural references, Paul lays out how the Jewish people rejected the call of Christ, how the people are without excuse, how the Jewish people will no longer be exclusively God's chosen people. And through these three prophecies, we speak, they speak to the eternal plan of God. We will see these three points. Israel rejected Christ. The rejection is inexcusable. And God chose another chosen people. First, Israel rejected Christ. Paul instructs us that God's desire for who will hear to God... He, God Paul instructs us of what God's desire is for who he wants, uh, what he, what he de- for who will hear the gospel and who he desires to save. You'll see not everybody who heard the good news of Jesus believed the good news, right? They have not all obeyed the gospel. Verse 16, they have not all obeyed the gospel, which is citation from Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 3. And this is a prophecy of how the Messiah would be received by God's people. Isaiah 53 reads this, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and, not, and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So, who has believed the word of, the God, of God? Who has believed that a man came, comes to bring salvation? But this man came and was not what the people expected, right? He did not have a form or majesty that we should look at him. What people wanted in their Messiah, what the Jews wanted in their Messiah was somebody big, somebody powerful, somebody military, somebody who would come and deliver the people from the Romans. They did not expect that the problem would not be the Romans. The Jews expected the problem would be. The Jews did not expect that the problem would be themselves. And that's what Jesus came to save them from, themselves. And so Jesus would be despised, rejected by man, men, and a man of sorrows. So again, Paul references scripture, a prophecy to demonstrate that Jesus would be rejected as we, saw, we see in the gospels. Second, the rejection is inexcusable. Rejection is inexcusable. In verse 18, Paul writes, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. What does this mean? This is a reference to Psalm 19.4, which speaks about the voice of God going out throughout all the earth and the words to the ends of the world. Psalm 19.1-3, the heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, there are nor are there words whose voice is not heard. In other words, what this prophecy is referencing is that even if there no one were to say, tell another person about the gospel, heavens themselves would cry out that there exists a God, that there is a creator, that it speaks to something inside of each one of us, that when we see creation, we should fall down and wonder and go, what is going on? Where did I come from? Who do I belong to? What is my purpose in this life? When you go out and see the stars at night, when you go camping, right? Not LA stars because there's like one, you know. But when you go out camping where it's dark and you see galaxies, 
right? Makes you feel that big. Maybe that big. Maybe even smaller than that, right? But that speaks to us, something greater and bigger than us. The fact that we exist, that we are here, that we can speak, right? That I am, I am that I simply have a consciousness. Where did where'd that come from? All of those things proclaim that there is a God. That voice is creation, including you who are God's creation. And nobody can deny that. What the psalmist writes, what Paul references, is that the very world cries out that there is a creator. So rejection of God is inexcusable. Third, God chose another chosen people. We see another verse, right? Verse 20. Paul asks the question, did not Israel not understand? To which he responds with citations from Moses and also Isaiah. For Moses, he says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. This is quite the citation, right? It references Deuteronomy 32, 21, where it says, they have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. This is God speaking. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. So God says, when you worship somebody else, right? That's like turning your back. And so what is God going to say? God says he will not be denied having a people for himself. Not, he will not be denied having a people who recognizes and worships him. God is going to reach out and choose another nation. Now, why is he reference these other nations as foolish nations? Right? It's kind of speaking from the perspective of the Jews. The Jews saw other nations than themselves as foolish, as not chosen, as unwise, right? As just lesser people, people to be ignored, perhaps. Isaiah 65.1 says this, I was ready to be sought out by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here I am, here I am, to a nation that was not called by my name. A nation that is not called by my name is not the Jewish nation, right? It's the other nations. And what Isaiah 65, 1 is here prophesying is that God says, I will choose those who are not actually seeking me or those people who were not really looking for me because they were not chosen, I will choose them. Clearly here, you see the prophet speak the words of God, who because of the rejection of Israel, is going to reach out to somebody, to another people. Why are these prophecies important? Why is it important for us to understand that the Jews were not picked? Well, obviously, the first one is this, Right? It allows us as Gentiles, I'm pretty sure I'm not Jewish, pretty sure as Gentiles, we're allowed into the kingdom of God as a result. Together, these three prophecies speak to the eternal plan of God, right? All along, God has known this was going to happen and that, it would, that salvation would be extended to all. Now, looking at it from the outside, starting with one group of people and God deciding to switch to another group might mark a change in God's heart. That at the beginning, it was Israel, but because they failed, God said, oh, shoot, I better come up with another plan. Let's go to option number two. It may be possible to assign these failings to God if we assume that God 
was not omniscient. Or that he could not foresee his, this happening. Or did not have greater intentions in place. Or that he was somehow powerless. What kind of all-powerful God could he be if he was unable to understand the consequences of picking these people? I mean, are the Gentiles simply God's backup plan? Not at all. From the very beginning, God intended all people to come to him. The mission of Israel was not to be an exclusive chosen people, as if like that was all the people that God was going to choose and he's going to choose no one else, and that it would only be inwardly looking. Not at all. The reality is that the mission of Israel is called out in Genesis chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. And this is the establishment of the covenant between God and Abraham, the father of Jews. And the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. The mission of Israel was to be ambassadors of the Lord God to the world a channel through which blessing was to come. And that is the idea that we're going to look into tonight. The third point tonight. That as ambassadors, as a representation, as a channel of God's blessing, we see what, who is the representation of the gospel. Who is the representation of the gospel? The idea is that we are sent to all nations. And it's not just the goal of the church that wants to grow or some visionary statement from a, a, a great pastor or a motivated leader, but it is the command of Christ as well. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, Jesus commands this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is our command from our Lord. You can also check out Acts 1.8. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses, my witnesses in Jerusalem. But it doesn't just stop there. To all Judea, and then further out, and Samaria, and then even further out, further from that, to all, to all, to the end of the earth. We are called to go to the world. And what 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 16 through 20, speaks of our role in this. The role of the believer is to be an emissary of God. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, all this is from God, who though Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation... That is, we are to go and be ministers who reconcile people to God. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and trusting us to the message of reconciliation, the gospel. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. If we are ambassadors for Christ, we should look at what the role is, right? Ambassadors go to foreign nations. They represent their countries well. They represent the best of their countries. They are sent to all nations with a mission, with a purpose. Our purpose, our mission, is to go from, to bring Jesus Christ at Ministry of Reconciliation to all the other nations of the world. 
much as an American embassy in the middle of Berlin during the Cold War represented the interests of the United States to a communist nation in a foreign land, in a possibly hostile land, that is us as well. We are, the church is, an embassy in the middle of a hostile world to bring good news to those who need it. As ambassadors, we are to understand we are to go to all pre people, preach the gospel, and that God does not exclude anybody or any person for any reason. Just as the Greeks and how different they were from the Jews were not off limits to God's grace, so are we to see all people equally in need of God's favor. We don't get to choose the country that we are sent to as ambassadors. We just know what our mission is. Our mission is to that loud mouth coworker. Are we to preach to them? Yes. He or she is an image bearer of God, worthy of grace. What about that weird aunt who has wronged the family in so many different ways? She is an image bearer of God, worthy of grace. That roommate who never cleans the kitchen, an image bearer of God, worthy of grace. That parent who treated you unfairly as a child and continues to treat you unfairly, they are an image bearer of God, worthy of grace. As ambassadors, you don't get to choose who doesn't get to hear the message. You represent God. As ambassadors, you also represent a God, a wealthy country that has riches for all those who desire treasure, right? For us, weak as we are, we have all sorts of treasure. And the first treasure is treasure that brings change. We have treasure that brings change. There is no perfect gospel testimony from a believer just as there is no perfect believer. The moment we begin to think our testimony is not powerful or valid because we are somehow weak is the moment we lose sight that God is a powerful God. If you are not broken, how can a broken people have hope? In your brokenness, you can demonstrate how God is powerful and changing you. Let me share a story of my own life and how the power of transformation spoken through imperfect people shared, brought the gospel into my life. There's a dear sister I have in Christ, a friend, all right, who I met first in the dorms when I was an unbeliever, a pagan, um, an unbelieving college student, and she and I hit it off as friends. I call her my Canto sister, right? Cantonese, all right? Woo! Well, she and I hit it off, right? We talked a lot about our, our shared experiences as Asian Americans, um, not really Chinese, not really having much Chinese background, really, uh, living in different, uh, different parts of the, uh, yeah, just, just living different lives, but yeah, we, we shared a lot of different things. She shared her struggles her difficulties in life with me, an unbeliever, very openly. And we talked through that. Amongst these things, she shared with me how she struggled with her faith and the victories she had walking as a believer. And I saw how she continued to push forward. And I saw, huh, she really thinks this church thing is pretty good. I could not understand it. And she wasn't a perfect person, but I did sense that church was important to her. And this was a continuing theme in our friendship. Three years later, I sat with her in a restaurant as she shared with me how she had shared over the last few years, that those things were simply her testament, testament, testimony of God working in her life. By then, the moment that I had sat, up until I sat down 
at the restaurant. I wasn't saved, but I heard the gospel from others. I was regularly attending a church, and I was actively seeking God. Her testimony that night tied together a lot of different things. It was a testimony of a real life being changed by God. And I understood that, and I saw that. And a few weeks later, in part because of her testimony, I gave my life over to Christ. I testify to you. Your testimony does not need to be picture perfect. It only needs to point to our God. As ambassadors, we also have a treasure that brings hope. We have treasure that brings hope. If nothing else, our brokenness and weakness can demonstrate how much we long for something greater. Modern culture wants us to think that we are nothing but chemical reactions inside of skin bags and that we had better make the most of this world and get as much pleasure out of it as we want because after this, there is nothing. But we can share with our friends and our family and our coworkers that there's something greater than all of this. And then we can tell of a God that gives each person value above and beyond what they are able to do, above and beyond the animals and how the power of the spirit can help us to overcome the longings of our heart and the emptiness we feel. We try to fill ourselves from this culture with entertainment. We try to deaden the emptiness with inside by filling it with other things, things other than God. And when we can speak to people about the excitement that God gives us, then we can give people riches and treasure. We can be excited by what it means to find truth and beauty. And to know that there is something absolute, that nothing is relative, that you can have a moral compass. Those are important things. People are searching for those things. We as ambassadors can give them that. As ambassadors, most importantly though, do we ourselves treasure the gospel? Do we ourselves treasure the gospel? Do we see the gospel as wealth that we can give to others and share Or is it merely an academic problem of dutifully living out what is right? There's a difference between treasuring and valuing something than just going through the motions out of habit or loyalty or duty. We share Jesus with others, not because we know we should do it, but because we want to. Because it has meant so much to us that we can hand it to somebody else because we want them to experience the same things that we are experiencing. Have you experienced change? Share that. Have you been comforted? Share that. Have you come to see God's hand in adversity? Share that and be excited about it. God has given us blessings and connected us with truth. That has changed us, okay? Talk about origin stories at the very beginning. And I stand before you here tonight, not by anything that I have merited or done, but simply because somebody was faithful enough to preach the gospel in their imperfection. And I can only hope that I can share the same way and with the same honesty with those who I love as well. Your friends cry for meaning. You may cry for meaning. And they they can't find anything worthwhile in this world to hang their hopes on. Nothing satisfies, nothing tastes. And less like gum that has lost its flavor, all we can do is continue to chew on, or they continue to chew on, hoping that it will satisfy sometime. But God is is better than that. God can provide real treasure. We are not meant to find meaning in this world, and we need to share that with people. Our souls groan for Christ. The world groans for Christ. Will you answer them? 
If you yourself have not believed, if you await for something greater in this life than in pursuit of entertainment, pleasure, recognition, or acceptance, you can find it in Jesus Christ. You can find it with connecting with your creator. This connection is salvation. And that means coming to an understanding God is the creator of all things. It also means you must admit you were born a sinner and continue to rebel from God, unwilling to acknowledge him as the Lord and to desire to live outside of him. Sadly, though, in this rebellion, God gives you exactly what you want, eternal separation from him, if that's what you wish, that's hell. Repentance, though, means admitting to yourself, acknowledging your inability to approach God, knowing that you are a rebel and wanting to change. But it doesn't come by your own works. You just can't will yourself to think differently. It only comes with belief in the work of Christ Jesus, that he is a man, incarnated God, who came to earth to live a sinless life, and in that living that sinless life, it was an act of mercy to us. Because when he died on the cross, he suffered the punishment that we ourselves were meant to suffer as well. And the wrath of the Father that was meant for us was exhausted on him. Dead three days in a tomb, Jesus defeated death and demonstrated that by rising on the third day, demonstrating God's victory over death, a victory that you yourself can also share through faith in Christ. It is in this Jesus that we must have faith if we are to enter into a relationship with God and then enter into heaven. This is salvation. This is the gospel message. And this is, church, what we are to share with the world, to preach it, however imperfectly, as treasure to a world dying for wealth. The call to you, believer, brother and sister, is to go out and just be faithful to share the excitement that you have in God with those around you. And again, it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be the complete gospel message all the time. It simply starts as like, you know what? God is doing this in my life. God is doing this. This is what I believe. Hey, can I pray for you? Hey, what's going on? God can help you there. Simple things like that. This is the work of ambassadorship. Let's close this time in prayer. Father, we thank you just for these words. God, continue to convict our hearts, change us. Help us to just be humble before you, knowing that it is not anything that we do that saves others, but it's what you do. We just pray, God, that we can be faithful to be your ambassadors to a world dying for you. We thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen.